Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Tent was not that, but that's where we are. Part 2B. And we'll look at the word of the Lord and see if we can derive some strength and stuff from that uh, this evening. Uh, Daniel chapter number 1, and we'll springboard from the same place that we did last week and read verses 8 and 9. And I'll probably read them again because just going to just hit a real quick little review uh, from last week. Amen. The Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Again this evening, this is Daniel part 2b, and we are talking about parental discretion advised amen here this evening join me right now in prayer if you will before we go to this lesson father i come to you tonight god i'm grateful lord jesus that you care so diligently about us god i pray lord as we once again look to your word that we could find some instruction we could find some some guidance oh lord for our own lives I pray, O oh Lord, I know, God, that you're able to help us this evening and enlighten our minds. And God, you're able to strengthen, Lord, those that need strength. You're able to heal, God, those, Lord, in need of healing. I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, revive us, O oh Lord. God, speak the wind into our lives. God, we'll thank you, Jesus, and we'll praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, we pray in the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated here this evening. Just for a little bit of a review uh, from last week, we spoke just a little bit about the man Daniel uh, himself. And what we come to learn is that we don't know much about him uh, concerning his ancestry or his parents, his mother or his father. Uh, we understood that he lived the whole time during the Babylonian captivity and then some. And uh, concerning setting the stage, the stage that is set for this particular chapter is that uh, we're looking at basically uh, four or so teenagers uh, that are taken to a place that is completely uh, separated from their homes, from their parents and families, and uh, they are being tried on a certain level. And we uh, were asking ourselves the question last week, uh, what would a group of teenagers do without any type of parental guidance or parental voice in their life and be up against some of the things that Daniel and uh, his comrades were up against? And so that's the stage that is set. Uh, they have a new system of beliefs that's being introduced into their life. They are at Babylon University and uh, they are being subjected to some things that uh, they haven't been subjected to before, and so uh, really the true trial of their faith is at hand. And some of the things that they were subjected to are before you tonight. Uh, the teaching that they were subjected to for three years, uh, they would sit under the teaching, and they would be taught uh, the, the language or the tongue and the writings, if you will, the learnings, of the Babylonians they would be taught their culture in essence and really what was being trying to what was trying to unfold and be unveiled there is this uh, in essence they were just really trying to take a, a, some Hebrew boys and reprogram them reprogram them to a different culture and a different time but don't you know that although they were exposed to that they still could hold true to what they were taught from children up to this point in time and uh, we spoke about how his world and our world is very much so the same uh, because he and his friends was taken to a place that was contradictory to the life that they grew up in, but in that place would be where they would get their education. It would be the place where they would work. It would be the place where they would feed their appetites with. Amen. But although they were set in that type of environment that they could still be true to the Lord Jesus Christ. They could still be true to their God like as we can stay true to our God in spite of the teachings that we find ourselves 
encompassed by and in spite of uh, the appetites that we could fulfill ourselves uh, with and so on and so forth. And another thing that he was subjected to was uh, the king's provision. Remember, every day they were going to bring uh, some of the meat and some of the wine that was from the king's table for uh, these individuals. That was the plan at least for them to have the provision that was from the king. And uh, we understood that they could open themselves up to immediate death if they were to reject the king's meat. But we understand that Daniel and his friends did just that. Uh, they rejected that, although they did it in such a way, in a manner that they weren't like, we're so holy and so godly and so glorious, we can't partake of that. Remember that they did it in such a diplomatic manner in which the way we should handle, you know, you can have strong beliefs, as we said last week, and not be ugly about it. Amen. You can have strong beliefs about something. It doesn't mean you have to be ugly or, uh, you know, a snarled up nose and a scowl on your face. And bless God, we don't do that uh, type of scenario. But uh, he was subjected to the king's provision, although he didn't take it. Another thing that they were subjected to, just for review purposes here this evening, they were subjected to their names being changed. You remember from last week, each and every one of their names, their meanings had God, or if you will, Jehovah, that was laced in them. And their names were changed to some Babylonian names. And whenever their names changed, the meaning of those new names had laced in them the gods, little g and with s, plurality of Babylon laced in them. And so uh, what they were trying to do by measure of doing that is give them a different identity and also by giving them that new name that corresponded with the gods of Babylon so that whenever someone called their name, they wouldn't be remembering their God, but would bring up the remembrance of the gods of Babylon. They wanted them to forget their past, forget where they come from, if you will, in essence, truly forget who they were. Amen. And so that's an environment for Daniel in these guys, and it's very similar. Again, I don't, I don't know if you can look at it very long and not see how definite that is similar to us in our day, in our environment, and in our world. If you allow me to read this one more time here this evening, the Bible says, so that's just kind of the setting of everything. Here's the king's provisions going to come. Here's the names changed. Here you're at Babylonian University. Here's all these things you're being subjected to that they have planned for you. But these words are very defining. Verse number eight. But Daniel. Right away we have a contrast. This is what they had planned for their, their life. This is what they said was going to happen. But the Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile, defile himself, which is tied very closely then what happens in verse number nine where the Bible says, now God had brought Daniel, amen, some favor and also gave him some tender love. Amen. So here's everything that's planned. This is what you're going to do here in this world. But Daniel, but Daniel had already purposed something in his heart. I would dare to say that Daniel and his friends, success in Babylon was due to those two phrases of Scripture. But Daniel, now God. Amen. Uh, because Daniel purposed not to defile himself with everything that was around him. If he wanted to defile himself, there was a buffet, if you will, around him that he could defile himself. If he wanted to transgress, it wouldn't be for lack of opportunity. Amen, if he wanted to. But he did not. Amen. And as a result of being resolute and as a result of having some resolve, not to do that and purposing not to do that. The Bible speaks about what God does in turn concerning that. Daniel's not going to give in, and so the Bible says then now God gives Daniel favor. And this just isn't a favor for Daniel himself, but he gives him favor in this land that is perverse. He gives him favor in this land that is full of wickedness. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2 and verse number 30, this is the time of Eli being the priest. And the scripture says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house, speaking of Eli's house, and the house of thy father should walk before me 
forever. This is going to happen forever. He says, but now the Lord saith, be it far from me. For them that honor me, he says, I will honor and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. In other words, God's saying, Eli, the plan was for your, your house and your father's house and even the sons after you that there would be a continual serving and a continual walking before me. But Eli, you, you've kind of let your sons, as Scripture tells us, they, they did some things that were uh, not smiled upon by God and Eli had knowledge of it and he really didn't do a whole lot to stop it or to prevent it, and God tells him, he says, I, I honor uh, who honors me, but if they despise me, he said, then they shall be lightly esteemed. And so we see this principle even carried out in the life of Daniel. Daniel, by not subjecting himself to what he could have, around him is honoring God. And as a result, now God uh, shows favor and a tender love toward Daniel because Daniel honored the Lord. Let me say, I mean, it goes without saying, but I say it anyway, you will never go wrong whenever you honor God. No matter, some, I, know, I know sometimes there are some sticky situations uh, that arise in our life and there's a lot of things on the line so to speak but you'll never go wrong honoring God even though it may seem it may cause personal injury financial hurt to make the decision that you make you will again never go wrong when you honor God you say, well, I may lose some finances by making the proper decision. Or I might lose personal character and face or reputation by making such a decision. Whatever you lose in that moment, I guarantee you, God will pay 10 times back to you in some measure and way in the future. You won't go wrong honoring God. And so that was the mindset of Daniel. Daniel did not adopt the mindset of, of this modern-day tactic that uh, he was just going to fit in with his culture, amen, in order to gain, if you will, a voice uh, in their life type of mentality. He wasn't like, I'm going to live like them and do like them. Maybe I can rise to prominence if I just blend in. The story of Daniel is he held to his faith and he still rose to prominence. He didn't have to adopt their ways in order to reach the level that he reached among them, he stayed true to his God and reached that same level that was among them. Amen. So to say that we got to compromise in order to get anywhere in this life is a bold-faced lie according to Scripture of Daniel. You can still be true to your beliefs, your God and his standards and still rise to human standards at a place of establishment of prominence in the world in which you live. Amen. And, and so, uh, again, we must note though that Daniel was not confrontational in what he stood for. He used godly wisdom. It wasn't, I'm not taking the king's portion. He says, why don't we try something else? Prove us for 10 days and let's see you be the judge of it. How, I mean, isn't that kind of risky to say, let's take 10 days and then you be the judge of it? I mean, that could have went really south quick. How could he do such a thing? Because he trusted his God. God, I know if I partook of the king's meat and there might be blood in it or it might have been sacrificed, I know that's wrong. So I'm going to honor you. But by honoring you and setting up a 10-day plan of eating pulse and water, if they don't like this, this goes south, I'm going to be eating the king's meat. Now, do you not know and think that God already knew that? And that if he was going to honor him, God was going to keep him in that honorable position? Someone say amen. And so, here's Daniel, and we ask ourselves the question. You know, all of the planets were in alignment for a mess up. They were in alignment for temptation. They were in alignment for testing. 
And so we ask ourselves the question, how could it that Daniel and these three other guys, how in the world was it that they could survive and not bend under the pressure of this world empire, not, but not bend under the pressure of this very notable king? And the reason, one of the reasons I would say uh, that this probably did not happen is because several years ago, whenever Daniel was a re, either a real young man or, or, or even a little bit prior before he was born. But no doubt during his lifetime, there was a king by the name of Josiah, the fifth, the fifth to last king for the, 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 the Judah, the southern kingdom. The king of Josiah had a time in his life. The Bible says that they were doing some things and his scribe, I think his name was Shaphan, if I'm correct. I don't have it written down, but I think that was his name. You, you can reference it, reference it in Kings. But the Bible says they went to talk to the high priest, which was the, the Hilkiah, which is right before you. And the Bible says that Hilkiah said, hey, we found the book of the law. The book of the law seemingly had been lost. And he says, we found the book of the law. And so the scribe took the book of the law back to Josiah. Josiah had the book of the law read. And whenever they began to read the book, he began to see, man, we fell a long distance away from what the law requires. And so he starts going through the kingdom. He's tearing down altars to false gods. He's, he's tearing up the place of Molech where people offered their children. He's getting rid of these false altars. He's cleaning house. He's getting things back in order. He read it in the ears of all the people because they got the law, or if you will, for our, our terminology, they, they got the Bible back out. Amen. They got the Bible back out and there was a revival of the word of God. Amen. And things started to get cleaned up. Things started getting back in alignment with the way that it needed to be. And it's highly probable. I'll show you a little timeline here in a little bit. It's highly probable that Daniel was subjected to the revival of the word of God. Amen. Whenever he was just a young man before he ever arrived in Babylon. The Bible says this just for a timeline type of purpose. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's when Daniel was taken away into Babylon. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. The Bible says back in 2 Kings 22 verses 3 and 8, and I just kind of melded a few of these verses together. And it came to pass in the 18th year of the king of Josiah that Hilkiah said, I have found the book of the law. Now this, this may not mean much to you, but just a general idea here. You see where Jehoiakim is right there at 11 years. Amen. This line right here is when the captivity started for Daniel. We're saying somewhere around age 15. He could have been a little older. He could have been younger. But right there in the third year, Jehoiakim, you go back then starting at 15, if we just use that as his age, which he's probably in his teenage years, go back and right here is where the law was discovered. So it was discovered perhaps a little bit before, or if this goes back a little bit further, Daniel was born a little bit before it was discovered. Nevertheless, the revival of the word of God happened in Daniel's lifetime before they ever went to Babylon in captivity. And I'm convinced one of the reasons why Daniel and those boys could stand as they stood is because they experienced a revival of the word of God before they were ever taken to captivity. The reason why they could say, no, thank you. We're going to adhere to our God. We're going to worship our Savior and our Lord is because they lived during the time in which a king arose and said, let's destroy the false gods. Let's do away with all this nonsense. Let's get back to worship being like worship needs to be and honor God and live our life according to the book. Daniel was exposed to that. And so I believe that had a great influence upon his life whenever he got to a land that was predominantly false heathenistic gods. Boy, this looks familiar to what happened back at home. And they cleaned it up according to the word. So I can't delve back into something that they even cleaned up whenever I was a boy. Amen. So I believe him not succumbing to the food and the other influence, the world that was around him is because of revival of the word of God. Now think about this. He's separated from his home, remember? He's separated from his mom and dad. He virtually has no individual of accountability in his life 
at Babylon. Yet he stays true. He stays holy. He's young, very impressionable. Amen. But he stood for what was proper. I believe, again, due to a revival of the word of God. Amen. And so we tip our hat to him. Thank God that he did that. But not only through the revival of a word of God do I believe that Daniel was able to do what he did. And although, again, we don't know much about his parents, I believe something else that had a stronghold in his life was the instruction of his home. And here's, here's why I say this. Because the parents that named those boys named those boys with some Hebrew names that had God or Jehovah in all of those. And parents that did that had to have some type of connection to that same holy God. In order to name their children and pronounce upon their children that type of name, they had to have some type of connection to God. I, I believe just bearing upon that alone that there must have been some godly homes and those children were reared in some godly homes. Otherwise, they would not have incorporated the names of God and Jehovah in them. Amen. And with that being said, I would like to turn to Luke chapter number 1 and verse 17 in the New Testament Scripture. The Bible says, and he, speaking of John the Baptist, shall go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elias, or if you will, Elijah, to turn, listen now, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord now reason with me here if one of the purposes for John the Baptist to be sent was before this is before the first coming of Christ if one of the reasons for him to be sent was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children I submit that there must have been a void or a breakdown in the home. Is everybody with me? He says, we, we're sending you to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Amen. Because we need to make some, some ready. We need to make some preparations. Amen. For the Lord. Just, 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 just reason and walk with me. So there must have been a breakdown in the home in the family and we'll get to a place here this evening we'll realize that that has been a problem that's not only of recent days but of new testament and old testament days of father's hearts not being turned toward their children like they need to be and as a result it has caused some of the upheaval in nations such as israel to digress from their god because the father variable was not there to help reinforce who that God was in their family and in their life. According to the Full Life Study Bible, it states this. It says the heart of the father had to be turned to the heart of the child in order to bring the heart of the child to the heart of the Savior. Hallelujah. And if we remember anything, we oftentimes say it, but it is scripture. We say, well, you know, history repeats itself. That big fat paisley tie, it's coming back, you know. And uh, was it Kevin Menace here a few days ago had Brother Mason roll up the jeans and the band. We did that in our day. And so we got this, uh, you know, thing that's going around. So if you got some clothes, save them, guys, because whenever you're my age, they're going to be doing it again. History does. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1.9, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Man, they thought they got it going on. with Man, we rode those jeans whenever I was a teenager. Ain't nothing new. It might be new to them just because they were born when we were born. And so this history thing repeats itself. Amen. Now just, and this is just, I'm just projecting something right here. But we know even in New Testament scripture that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be whenever the coming of man is coming upon the earth. There is a repetitiveness. 
the atmosphere and the way in which it was then is the way that it's going to be before the second coming or if you will the rapture of the church things repeat themselves and so I'd say to say then the events some of the events that preceded the first coming of Christ are going to be similar to those that precede the rapture of the church because history repeats itself and with that being said, if John the Baptist had to come in an hour prior to his first coming for turning the hearts of the father back to the children, then we're going to live in a similar time frame whenever the hearts of the father, or the father's going to have to turn the heart, his heart back toward his children again. And I believe we're seeing that even today. There's an old Hebrew maxim that says this, Jerusalem was destroyed because the education of her children was neglected. I'm not saying that. That's, that's, that's these Hebrews, Jewish people that say that. The reason why Jerusalem was ever destroyed to begin with is because the education of their children was neglected. With that being, is everybody doing okay? All right. With that being the case, let's consider this for a moment. We're going pre-exile days, pre-Babylon days. About a hundred, I know we're not deep in the, next week, when are we in chapter three? We're about ready to springboard into prophetic utterance, okay? But just stay with me here for right now. About a hundred years earlier, there was a king by the name of Hezekiah. You can really see it in 2 Kings 20. The story of Hezekiah came to a place in his life. It's spoken, you're gonna die, Hezekiah. You're gonna die. Get your house in order, you're gonna die. But the spirit of the Lord spoke back to Isaiah to go tell Hezekiah. Hezekiah, God says that instead of dying, he's, because remember, Hezekiah put his face to, he started crying and weeping before God. And here comes the prophet back and he says, hey, instead of dying, God's going to add 15 years to your life. Hezekiah says, I need a sign for this. Again, you know, he accepted the bad news, but he needed the sign uh, for the good news. Uh, history repeats itself amen and so he said I need some sign well, well, we, we turn the sundial 10 degrees forward or back. no it'd be, a, it'd be a grander thing if you turn the sundial 15 degrees backward and so that's exactly what happened well listen now listen lean in here just for a moment during this time frame of Hezekiah's sickness and now his miraculous addition of 15 years to his life and the 10 degrees on the sundial being turned backward because you had to back up all the planetary systems in order to get that accomplished. You understand that, right? All those planets had to go in reverse in order for all of that to take place. During this time frame, you can read it in 2 Kings 20, that the king of Babylon, everybody hear what I just said? The king of Babylon sent a letter and a present to King Hezekiah because he heard that he was sick and he had heard that he recovered. Now, I, I, I know I'm going all the way around the block three times in order to get to where, but it'll be all right. Babylon, Babylon again. She's known for their advancement in science. She's known for astrology. She's known for astronomy. Earliest civilization that we know of can be traced back to the area of Babylon, Mesopotamia, all the way back there. Amen. And with that being said, she, those people, even in that day, were constantly watching the stars. Just follow me here for a moment. And the planetary systems. As a matter of fact, and you, uh, again, just a few little excerpts so you know what I'm talking about. The Dake Annotated Bible uh, says this, to the Babylonians we owe the exact measurements of the lunar and solar cycles. The tracing of the paths of the planets, the division of the circle into 360 degrees, and the designation of constellations, notably those of Zodiac. Furthermore, just hang with me. Tony Garland in his commentary on Daniel says this. He says they were very, they recorded records very carefully, the Babylonian astronomers. And they kept, they kept the movements of the planets and the comets and the phases of the moon. They kept all a close eye on those in so much that back in 747 BC, this is before the ex, this is before the exile, before the Babylonian exile, that there was somebody that had recorded so carefully all the planetary systems that they already calculated the length of the year that we have at 365 days, six hours and 15 minutes and 41 seconds which was only 26 minutes and 55 seconds too long than what it actually was all the way back then. 
Is someone listening to me? So they're very precise watching the planets, the lunar, the solar, all these things taking place. Now this, this is just a perhaps, okay? But it's a fun perhaps to consider. Perhaps the Babylonians noticed the backward movement of the planetary system and had knowledge of what they heard about Hezekiah getting sick and then 15 years being added and something happening. And perhaps because of their inquisitive science, astrology, astronomy mind of watching all these things, if they seen that perhaps they wanted some type of explanation because this doesn't follow with our records. Listen to me. But Hezekiah missed it. If they came interested in what was going on, Hezekiah had a good opportunity to boast about his God. To boast about the creator of the universe. To perhaps open their minds at a level where they were about what God could do. But whenever they came, instead of witnessing about God, they, he showed him, them his riches. The riches of the kingdom. Amen. And whenever they had left and done, and he showed them the gold and the silver and all these things, when they left, Isaiah came and he told Hezekiah. Here came another prophecy to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, there's going to come a day that those Babylonians are going to come back. And they're going to come back to the house and they're going to take some of these vessels of gold. How did we open Daniel chapter number one? It was Nebuchadnezzar who was from Babylon. And what did they take back with them on the first deportation? Some of the vessels that a hundred years before was already prophesied. It's going to happen. Why? A man boasted about what he had rather than his God. Not... He didn't make the underscoring and the emphasis where it needed to be. Let me go a little further. That that type of attitude just didn't stay there. And it wouldn't just affect his generation, but generations to come. It's a sad thing. Listen, listen, listen. If our children are gathering under our wings and they hear us boast more about what we have than we do our God. We are setting ourselves up. No, 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 no. He said, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to steal this stuff away. Listen, in the third year of Hezekiah's extended life, all right, his extended life, we're in year number three. He has a son by the name of Manasseh, and he's born. And listen, listen very diligently. In the third year, he's born. Get this in your mind. Hezekiah knows. He's got 15 years added to his life. That's what he's promised. This son is born in year number three. So you know what Hezekiah knows? Hezekiah knows that when the child is born, that he only has 12 years to invest all the reputable things of God in this child. He only has 12 years to do it. Somebody hear me. Yet instead, he places that on the back burner and on a shelf, as it were, and the Bible says that Hezekiah, we read of, during those years that his son was young, he's very industrious. He makes a pool. He makes a conduit leading into the city to feed the, wa- the city with water. He's notable for doing various works, and they're all attributed to Hezekiah. And, upon, and so he's doing a lot of stuff, but he's doing no, yes, Pastor Bishop, no eternal things. And so during these formative years of his child, his child is seeing everything else except God is important. The water duck and the pool's important. The hanging gardens are important. All these other things are important. And so this child is growing up with the mentality, the things that are important is all these other things. It's work, it's pleasure, it's... Because Hezekiah, you only got 13 years to invest in this boy. You got only 13 years to make him know that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You only got 13 years to let him know that you're not to serve any other, just the one true God. You got 13 years to let him know silver and gold doesn't mean anything if you don't have, you only have 13 or 12 years rather to do all this.
but instead he's invested in this and invested in that. He's very industrious. And whenever, whenever Hezekiah heard what Isaiah said would happen, how the Babylonians would come back and rip all these goods uh, from them, the Bible says that basically he didn't have a problem with it. And you know why Hezekiah didn't have a problem with it? He said, because all that ill is not going to happen in my day. It'll happen in another generation. I'll be dead and gone. So he had no regard for the future. Furthermore, he had no regard for his son and he didn't have no regard for his God. Someone say amen. And so Hezekiah dies when he should. Those 15 years happen, he dies and Manasseh takes rule and reign at 12 years old. He's born in the third year. It all, it all makes calculated sense. And so Manasseh begins to reign when he's 12 years old. And he does those things, guess what? Not appealing to God, but that which is contrary to God. Why? He never had a father that was teaching him anything differently. Hezekiah is busy, but he's too busy. He's too busy. Has no regard for the future. And this is what the scripture says. In 2 Kings 24 and verse 3, and I'm not sure if I got it up there, and I don't. But 2 Kings 24 and verse 3 basically speaks this. It's recorded that Judah is taken to captivity. The captivity we're talking about in Daniel. Partly because of the sins, you can look at it in your Bibles, of Manasseh. But the sins of Manasseh are greatly due to the disheveled mess of his daddy. The heart of the father was not turned toward the heart of the son and therefore the heart of the son as the other Bible said couldn't be turned toward the heart of the Savior. And so they are in this... we've already looked at three reasons why they were in Babylon, but to add a fourth, they're in this mess because of the lack of the influence of a home life. And what sets this thing in in such a contrasting element is we're here because of a failure in the home life, yet there's Daniel and these other boys that evidently had somewhat of a home life in order for them to respond the way they responded to the environment that they're in. So I just say this, and this is the only thing, toot the horn. Uh, Not everybody's doing it wrong, thank God. Oh, someone say amen. Yeah, we're doing good on time. It's great, it's wonderful, it's excellent. I just read here currently in this month, Jim Daly over the focus of the family. He just wrote an article here lately, how to pass along the faith that lasts to your kids. And he said just a misperception, he said that we're fighting against today, he says that all the millennials, which is of that age coming, uh, are not losing their faith. He says young people are not leaving the church in droves, but this is something that he did state. He said, listen very clearly, of all young adults that do leave the church, listen, only 11% came from homes where a consistent, serious faith was practiced. Those that did leave, only 11% were from homes where there was consistent, serious faith that was practiced. Whereas then, 89% came from lukewarm or no faith-based homes. What we do at home and what we do with our kids and what we teach and ingrain in them does absolutely matter. Because we can either build their faith in the things eternal or we can subtract from that by what we do in our home. Amen. As parents, we are a major contributor to our children's faith. Amen. And so how... I mean. <laughs> How then can I as a mom or me as a dad, how can I ensure, amen, that they're going to carry that on, that it won't do, be they did everything that was wicked in the eyes of God, you know, like Manasseh. How, how can it be stated that they did just like their mother and father did? They were faithful and they were true and all those things. How in the world can we do that? Because you got to live it at home. you got to do it at home. One, 
I like this statement. One, one researcher called it this, like this. He called parents. He said, parents are the most important pastor a child will ever have in their life. And, and, and listen, listen, I'm thankful, you know, for times someone says, oh, we're, I'm just so thankful, Lord, uh, for um, Pastor, the Pastor McGee that I had in my life as a teenager or for the brother and sister Mason. That's great. But you know what I'd rather hear than any of that? I'm so thankful for my mom and I'm thankful for my dad that I had when I was impressionable at a young age of my life that taught me that I'm thankful they get it from here. But I wish there was a whole lot more saying, thank God for mom. Thank God for dad. Thank God for my home. We can't go through the motions of our faith and this thing stick. We can't do it. We can't be adamant about it at church and lukewarm about it at home. Our children are not stupid. They know a fake when they see a fake. Amen. Got to actively model it before them. If I if I can just share a little bit more before I go on, and I know, just 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 stay with me. Listen, and this is just recently I stumbled across, and I don't remember where, but it fits in well right here. Research says, listen to me. Research says that family pressure is more effective and influential than peer pressure. Research says, so that then if a kid or a teen is being swayed by their peers. If they're being swayed by their peers, it might be because the family, namely the parents, are not inquiring enough or having enough influence in their life. If peer pressure is winning out, it might be because there's not enough family pressure or presence. Amen. Someone say amen. So we arrive where we arrive because there is the absence of that. And so I believe a great success then for Daniel and his friends is the flip of this. They, they, were, they were alive during the time of the revival of the word and we need that and we should propagate that. But they also had a godly influence at home. The Bible states, hang with me because this is not turning to 2C, all right? This is not part 2C. It is not happening. Not on my watch. Amen. <laughs> Let's go on just a little further. There it is. <laughs> See, I'm just behind. That's all right. <clears throat> the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, and every man that striveth for mastery is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Listen, here's, there, oh, here's the setup for Daniel, but Daniel, but Daniel. He showed self-control. He showed temperance in those matters that were around him. Now this is what I want you to understand. But Daniel purposed in his heart listen and i got it stated here before i know it's long but look at it read it trying to touch these senses here daniel didn't wait until the alluring portion of the king's meat was in front of him to decline from taking it but he purposed in his heart he had a decision already made before he needed to make a decision many times our decisions are a response to an action we must settle certain things in our walk with God before they ever rise as an issue in our life. We need to settle some things now. Daniel already knew he said, they're going to have all this stuff. I already got me a, I already got me a choice here. I already got a dis- before they ever. I know what their intention is, but before they ever approach me, I already got a decision made. I purposed it in my heart. There, you know, there's some things in life you say, well, I haven't had that happen to me or this had, you know what? It may not happen, but it may happen as well. But before it ever does happen, you need to already make up your mind about some things. I've never had to worry about, you know, being tempted to to smoke or drink or to fornicate or all. I've never had, I've never had to worry about this or that in life. That may be the case, but that's not to say it won't show up at your door. And what you need to make right now in your mind is this is my decision. This is my choice. If it ever arises, I've already purposed something in my heart. I've already, it doesn't matter. I've already purposed something in my heart and mind. This is the way it's going to be. Rather than being reactive, we need to be proactive on some of this stuff. 
We need to be proactive. We need to settle it now. If I can just go just a little further until I get to the end. <laughs> this no compromise spirit. Y'all doing fine. Time's not even up yet. I won't tell you what I set my clock on. Just an hour and a half. No, I'm joking. <laughs> well, y'all get me up here early where I could really, t- I could have taken an hour and 10 minutes according to what time if we try to get out at the, yeah. Everybody's really just grabbing hold of their seat and looking at their jacket and watching hour and a half. No. Listen, it's interesting that the first test in the Garden of Eden, we're talking about king's meat and portion, all this stuff, and this is just kind of, you know, footnotes here that the first test in the Garden of Eden was appeasing the appetite with the forbidden. Which was a fail. And yet, where the first family failed, Daniel and his group succeeded. Instead of appeasing their appetites with the forbidden, they chose not to. We even have good, good example in New Testament Scripture because Jesus in the New Testament Scripture, his first test in the wilderness, according to the harmony of the Gospels, his first test is, Son of Man, will you take these stones and turn them into bread? (laughs) So where the first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. In so much, I say this, that much of the success and failure of Israel then as a nation and for the church today, now, will be what we satisfy our appetites with. The forbidden or the permissible. Amen. And there it is for your quote. One other thing, Daniel and these boys... After eating the pulse for 10 days, the Lord allowed them that there was a noticeable difference among them compared to the other gentlemen that were in the group, which, by the way, happened to be from the same country. See, some of them made it, some of them didn't. If they had all ate the portion of the king's provision of Babylon, there wasn't going to be any noticeable difference in their appearance. Had they went along and consumed the same thing that everybody else consumed, there would have been no noticeable difference in their appearance. If they compromised, stated like there had been no noticeable difference in their appearance. But appearance matters to a king, whether it's foreign or their own. Appearance mattered. The king didn't want a wart-nosed, gimpy, uh slobbering, diminutive individual serving in his presence. The king wanted someone that was going to be in his presence that would be a good representation of what his kingdom was. Appearance matters to kings. So for Daniel and the boys, the Bible says that they look better than all the rest. But them looking better, all the rest wasn't contributed to them satisfying their appetites with the world that was around them. They satisfied their appetites still with the things that were pleasing to God. And that impacted their appearance. And since that impacted their appearance, they were favorable among God and man. Appearance matters. Appearance will either let you stand before a king or not. (laughs) In whatever world you're in. Amen. Appearance mattered. They were uncomely. They were, they were good, to, good to look upon. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 17. Uh, whenever all this is done, as for these four, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel, in particular, had understanding in all visions and dreams. So knowledge and skill and wisdom and all this was given to all of them but to Daniel in particular an additional note he is given understanding and visions and dreams and that is the reason for the rest of this series we're going to see him playing the part that he does 
in history and for the prophetic, amen, pre-written history of our world today because of that knowledge. And I just go on, just, I'm, I'm, I'm running there. I'm trying to help us all get there. I'm trying to pick some of you up and carry you to the finish line. We're getting there. Just real quickly, there's, a, there's some similarities that are struck between the experience of Joseph in Egypt, the experience of Daniel in Babylon, just for your consideration. Both Joseph and Daniel were Hebrews. Both of these men were prisoners in a strange heathen land. Both of these were dreamers and interpreters of dreams. Both of them had their moral character tested. Joseph at Potiphar's house and Daniel at the king's palace. Yet again, both of these men arose to prominence under a Gentile ruler. And if you'll stand with me, the final review of these guys in Daniel chapter number one is that they were ten times better. That's not a literal number. That's just a way of saying they are really a whole lot better. (laughs) They were much better than all the other magicians and astrologers in the king's realm. And if I can just state one more time, my belief, based upon what we've ran through tonight, my belief, the reason why that is, is number one, they lived during a time where there was a revival of the word. And number two, they had some parental discretion in their life. And if a good portion of the others came to exile because there was a separation or a breakdown in the home and the family, it's good to see that among all of them, there were at least four that had some type of godly influence that was in their life that caused them to stand and withstand the evils of their day. So for our generation, if there is this repetition of history of what happens... And if we're standing at a similar threshold of a breakdown in a home where fathers' hearts need to be turned back toward their children so their children can be turned to God. And if there is a breakdown of the preaching and the propagation and the sharing of the word of God, then I say for us tonight where we are now in history, there needs to be a renewed revival of the word of God And there needs to be a renewed revival of the parental discretion that's in our personal homes and our families so that we can stand the generation following us and do all to stand in this evil, pernicious day because the spirit of Babylon is still with us and it's still vying for the attention of our future of our future can we bow our heads this evening in this place god i love you tonight i'm thankful to you lord and i thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day